Just got to wait for these seven devices that ring when you ring to stop ringing. Uh, that's because I have every device set to uh, ring when you ring, John, because I never want to miss your call. I don't think that's true, is it? Or maybe it is true. No, I never want to miss your call. I mean, how else would I find someone I could throw abuse at so willingly? Oh, my God, that's so mean. <laughs> you know, Scotty, the purpose of this call is not just to heap abuse upon me, it's to provide entertainment and enlightenment to our coterie of, of listener. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we've started, haven't we? There we, yes, are. So, yeah. there we are. I hope I hope you were recording. I absolutely was. I am <laughs> always recording. I never want to miss a word of my brilliance. <laughs> no, actually, you know, you the the podcast can't be considered have started until I do. Scotty, 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 guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I don't know, John. What should I be guessing this week? Um, oh, in fact, it's been two weeks, so what should I be get- guessing this fortnight? How I'm getting along um, after having been grievously injured in a bike accident. Yes, I saw that. I saw that you had, um, uh, you, you'd had come to some trouble. So why don't you explain what happened, first of all? Well, so as our listener knows, um, I like to bike. Uh, and uh, to me, it's, it's, it's both kind of enjoyment and exercise. And, and it used to be my main commuting thing before I had to start hopping on a shuttle. Um, so I'm, you know, consider myself pretty savvy in, in biking in San Francisco, which is not always easy because, you know, there are precious few physically separated bike lanes. And there's one kind of particularly nasty intersection where uh, the, essentially the freeway crosses Market Street and goes up to a busy uh uh, what's called Octavia Boulevard. I don't know how to refer to it. I mean, I guess it's a street, but with many lanes. A, a boulevard I would normally call, it, except for it only lasts about two and a half blocks, and it's just a way of of, of sending cars that are otherwise going to be on the freeway to uh, you know a much longer true boulevard that ultimately leads to Golden Gate Park. It used to actually be a, a, an overhead freeway, but it was taken down in an earthquake. So it's nice because it made this neighborhood Hayes Valley become, you know, shishi because there was no longer a freeway casting a dark shadow on it. But that intersection is just, it's always been rife with problems. And so I was biking back from the beach and um, I'm crossing this intersection. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, this, this other cyclist comes screeching by and he clips me, his shoulder hits mine and I, I hit the brakes um, and my wheels locked up and I went sailing over, over, you know, the handlebars landing first on my left wrist and then on my right elbow and then on my head. And I was wearing a helmet because you have to wear a helmet at all times. And, and as I'm hitting the head, I'm like thinking, yeah, I'm glad I'm wearing a helmet because this is useful. And I didn't really think much of it because it's, let's see, it's about the third time I've, I've had a, an accident over the, let's say 15 or so years that I've been biking actively in the city. Um, but this is the second one at that, at that area, in that general area. Um, and I don't, there's, I mean, what can I say? You know, the, the, the pedestrian helped me up cross the, 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 the street. I imagine it must've been amusing for the poor people, or whatever the people in the cars parked, we were just waiting to see some cyclists because there's a certain level of animus between motorists and cyclists in San Francisco for, for a variety of reasons, some of which are justified, most of which are just people not understanding each other. Um, so anyway, I get across and the guy who, who hit me, he was like halfway down, you know, to the ferry building. And, but then he noticed, I guess, since I was not dead, he was required to, to return to the scene. And I, th- I think the guy was a, an addict or something where, or at least high at the time. He was like, uh, uh, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not. Uh, well, uh, I'm sorry. I had to pass. It's like, <laughs> you didn't pass. You hit me. <laughs> 
but there was there was not a whole lot to be done. And again, kind of, I don't know whether you've ever been in a bike accident or, or, or you know, been there's a you know, as soon as you get up, you're in a little bit of shock, and you think, well, okay, you know, I can still move, it's fine, you know, I'm scraped up a little bit, but I'll survive. I didn't really think a whole lot of it. And I, then my bike wasn't, you know, wasn't bent or anything. I didn't, I didn't really want to ride it. So I was just walking it and I figured, well, if need be, I'll go to urgent care. Um, uh, and so I passed a couple of urgent care places. Two of them were closed. One of them had a big sign saying, we don't have x-rays. And if you need an x-ray, you go to the local hospital. And I figured, you know, yeah, I'll just, I can, it can wait till Monday. And the pain started growing, started growing. And I stopped off at the local police station and I asked, I said, this may be a strange request, but I was just in a bike accident and uh, I'm curious if it's possible to obtain the, the traffic cam footage because it was at a major intersection. And, you know, they handed me a piece of paper and, and one asked another and the other said, well, it's almost certainly not going to be possible, but, you know, here's a number you might call. And I did. And, and Got ultimately from a voicemail tree, which led to a <laughs> the person you're trying to reach is not accepting any messages. Their message box is full, so I kind of gave up on that <laughs> and kept. It was all people after traffic cam footage. Well, I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I, mostly I just kind of wanted it for my own amusement, and, and <laughs> so anyway, I went to the 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 you know the local ER in a brand new facility. Well, brand new. It's a, a year old, and I was seen quickly and had some x-rays. And that, you know, that was its own interesting experience. It was done with a portable x-ray machine, which I'd never seen before. And it's it's kind of cool. It's all done digitally. And it, I mean, it has been for years, but this was like the, the fastest x-ray I've ever seen. Um, and it's just almost completely nonchalant. It's like, you know, it's like, ah, put your arm here. And they made me make an okay sign, which I thought was that a subtle thing to say, I'm okay, mom. But I think it's actually to to, to put the, the fingers in a, in a particular position and extend everything so that you can get a better look at it. And in the end, uh, I didn't have any broken bones. I did have a fractured radius, which is the bone that attaches to the you know, butts up against the elbow and that, that doesn't need to be set. There's nothing to be done with it other than just to, you know, go easy on it. And, uh, and it's, the sprains make it so that, it, you know, I can't really squeeze very hard. It's gotten progressively better. I've been eating lots of ibuprofen. Um, and I know this has nothing to do with the podcast other than the fact that I determined that uh, I was happy that I could still type. And it just reminded me that uh, in life, these terrible things can happen. And uh, I put it kind of nonchalantly on Instagram and Facebook. And I forgot that the, I forgot to press the don't let my mom see this option because she's like, what what happened to my baby? And I don't like this and you shouldn't be biking, blah, 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 blah. But it, it was fun. So anyway, that's what happened to me. Uh, but I, I've still been able to work, and I have uh, some some things I can share and talk about. But not until you 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 say, uh, John. I know I give you feces all the time, but I'm so happy you're still here to be entertaining our our cohort of listener. And John, John, I'm very happy that you're still here to entertain our listener. I mean, if you were to go away, that means I'd have to do all of the work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at least you do some of it right now. So. I am I am very pleased, and I mean, and I, I guess you know, you did you have to stand up and you know, did you shout "bastard cyclists" or something afterwards? Well, I mean, that's true. Like a good car driver, would. I should have. I I I did say you asshole. I was like, what's the matter with you? And that that's the thing. And 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 I recounted it to a bunch of people, and at first they were like thinking, you know, did you call the police? And there was, it's just like it's there's nothing to be done about it. What what can you say? I mean, it's it's it's. I, I, 
this is, I don't want to get into a lengthy discussion about it, but it's not very easy being a cyclist in general in any setting. Like, you know, it's, it becomes pretty common to have bikes stolen or front wheels of bicycles stolen or, you know, even getting parking tickets threatening to, to, to steal your, you know, to tow your bicycle. And those of you who follow me on Instagram will, will see references to all those occurrences. You know, so it's, it's, it happens all the time. And, but at this time I, I was a little uh, taken aback. The guy was just like completely, it's like, I don't care. Oh, dude, you're right. And it's, it's just, you know, unfortunately that's what happens when you have a certain level of, of social degradation, which unfortunately exists in, in the United States. Okay. So now I'm going to go for probably one of the weakest and most, um, tenuous links that, uh, we have ever done. On this <laughs> oh, show. this is good. Uh, <laughs> so. A gossamer (laughs) thin. Yes. Yes. It's a whopper thin, this one. Um, Okay. Um, You said you you had this portable x-ray machine, uh, and it was very, very fast, the fastest x-ray you've seen. So um, that just reminded me, I bought a new scanner. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been trying to scan your... your... I... (laughs) <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't bought a new scanner in years and years and years. Um, but I got so finally so fed up with all the paperwork mounted up. I've literally had piles and piles of paper in my paperless office. Um, I mean, I never try and generate paper, but people keep sending it to me. Um, I bought a scanner, um, and it's one of the uh, Fujitsu, I think, uh, ScanSnap ones. I think it's an IX fifteen hundred, something like that. Put a link in the show notes. Um, it was, you know, I think it was about three hundred pounds or so, about four hundred bucks. And, um, you know, my experience with scanners was, okay, now I've got to sit down and put all this paperwork through. It's going to take me forever. And I put the first piece of paper in it and it whipped through faster than I could pick up the next piece of paper. And it was like, I did both sides of it at the same time. And it was like, whoa, when did scanners get so fast? Mm. I mean, and not only did it do that, it it then immediately by Wi-Fi just put it onto the app on my laptop and offered me a notification came up on my phone saying, would I like this document on my phone now as well? Because I put the software in there and I thought... I am really impressed. I mean, literally, it was a full-color, two-page document, and it literally went through as fast as it could roll it through. And then if you put it in the document feed, it goes through. Now, anyone who's been using a scanner and probably in the last 20 years is thinking, yeah, nice of you to catch up with technology. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, it was like, it was one of those, yeah, this is, uh, this. you know, it's not often, I normally get stuff, and I'm very critical of it. Or, yeah, this is good, but I'm a little, you know, I, I would have liked a bit more. So it was really nice to have bought something for which I had no expectations and um, be blown away. So there we are. Well done, Fujitsu. Uh, I mean, the software is still, you know, not great, but there we are. When is scanner or printer software ever been any good? Um, and, uh, you know, it, this is a fairly stupid time to buy a scanner because um, scanners and printers are renowned for... Um, uh, you know, not working with new software releases of Mac OS um, and, you know, and, and they just disappear. And this isn't scanners are often that old, but I did check the Fujitsu website. And um, although they don't talk about this model, the previous model of this, they talk they're going to support for at least another five years. So we're assuming this one they will as well. Um, and I did check, of course, the apps are all 64 bit. So that means they were likely to work. So and it is working under Catalina. We now have tested it. So there we are. If you are looking for a Catalina compatible scanner, I can highly recommend well, Fujitsu ScanSnap IX1500. So as fast as a good scanner. As fast as you can go flying over your handlebars and land on the pavement, your paper can go through and end up on your phone. Yep. Yeah, so um, when they when they send you that enormous bill from ER, 
yeah. <laughs> you can have for your for your portable X-ray. You can um you, you can send it to me and I'll scan it for you. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> Proving once and for and all, I'll, this and su- I'll only charge charge you a forty nine dollar admin fee. <laughs> the superior efficiency of the American for profit healthcare industry. <laughs> Okay, so when you've not been being a lazy ass lying on your back on the road, yeah. <laughs> what have you what, what what have you been up to? Well, uh, so you know, uh, what, a stunning colleague, hello Lyle, who came up and was like, "What is it that you're referring to? You keep talking about this thing that you know, with, with you know, that you were happily using stack views and text attachments for." And it's like, "What are you going on about?" And then I actually showed it to him. I'm still not going to reveal it to the to the the other half listener, so only only Lyle gets to know. And but he finally understood why you know the 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 complexity of it. But uh, I was doing more testing. Of of it and another kind of uh another whatever not wrinkle so to speak but another you know testing case got got put on it um which required some more thinking and some more work but then that forced me to do, you know it forced me to do more testing and i found a, another edge case where i made a stupid mistake which i am willing to, to share with you uh, you know uh, text attachments are are great and as you know any manipulation you do with uh, attributed strings are all based on a range of the original text and so i was in order to figure out where to substitute this icon image for a run of text, I just basically said, "Give me the range of string," and was you know, I was was very naive in that it, it didn't occur to me until I saw one of the examples of it in a screenshot test that uh, you may have a substring which matches multiple places of it. So the icon ended up being in the wrong place because it was matching in, in a year um, a, a sub part a portion of it, and I thought, "God, I'm an idiot." Um, but it was easy enough to fix. You just basically have to make the. Uh, you, I, there were two approaches you could take, and I figured since I I know the range of types of data that will be in the string, I just found another pattern to match just by putting a a, a space in front of it, um, which would mean that it wouldn't be done as a as a substring of 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 another complete string with no spaces. If that makes sense, in other words, it wouldn't match the the number twelve as part of two thousand twelve. It would have to be a standalone twelve, and so that's good. So it worked out. And and super astute people might then get an idea of what I'm talking about now, um, if they are also um, <laughs> stunning colleagues at Netflix and are familiar <laughs> with the app a little bit. Anyway, if, if they if they've built the app recently and run it, exactly. <laughs> yes, they might know. They might know what you've been up to. Yes. Um, so that's it. But then the other thing, and this is more stuff for the show notes, uh, we got a little award in DC for excellence in engineering for accessibility. And I thought that was very sweet. And it was a combination of, I mean, I think a, lo- a lot of the things have to do with with all, you know, uh, all, all awe on my part for the work that's done for doing the the subtitles and captions, because there's a lot of software expertise that's done in it to, to, to make it efficient. And there's a high volume of, of, of work that we have to produce these uh, subs and dubs, as they're called, um, for it, but also in the application itself. So I, I was very proud of, of to be part of it and to, to work with my colleagues to continually make it better. So that was kind of a nice thing to see this morning. So that's what's been going on in my world, Scotty. Now that you've been back, um, how are you? Um, I have uh, been spending this last week or, or two um, mainly working in, you know, well, well the, um, the cool kids are sort of like um, looking at the combined framework and playing with oh. Catalyst. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've decided to come right up to date. And so I've been mainly working with NS Outline View and NS Text View. <laughs> <laughs> how lovely. <laughs> two, two classes that can't be more than what? 
20 years old, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know right. how old they are. And, um, okay, so um, NS Outline View I've used a lot in the past, and um, but I've not used for a while, so uh, I need a little bit of a refresher. But on the whole, yeah, it's... it's yeah, once it's like most cocoa classes. Once you once you suddenly get it, what it's um you know the way it's working, which is it's basically an NS table view descendant. In fact, I'm using I'm doing it as a as a source list, so which is a type of NS outline view. Um, so once you remember how it is, it's trying to work, and it's it is sort of like a table view, but different enough that if you just try and treat it like a table view, it will not work properly. Um, uh, and so having to sort of work my way back through that and do a reminder. Um, and But what you suddenly realize is is how much the world around um, at Mac and app, app development in the Apple environment has changed by the fact that if anything, anything that is part of um, UIKit, if you're in, in trouble or you're just coming back to something, you need a reminder, you can do a... Uh, you know, a, a search on your favorite um, internet search website, and you're going to find definitely some Stack Overflow stuff, uh, and you're probably going to find a few tutorials somewhere and something to take through it. And you know, depending on whether you're brand new or looking for a reminder or or, or whatever, you you find something. Um, and yet, I find it quite amazing that even though um, you know, these classes are so old. The amount of stuff out there on on the internet about them is virtually nothing. I mean, in comparison, I'm not saying there is nothing, but there is really, really very little, um, which is either saying to me that, um, you know, these classes are so old that everybody thinks that they should be, you know, everyone knows them and, you know, there's no need to. Um, there's been an expectation that the Apple documentation is great on them. And let me tell you, it's not um uh, particularly the text view stuff which we'll talk about in a minute um you know so it was just it was quite you know i know the mac isn't as popular but i was quite surprised how little is out there i thought oh there's going to be you know the apple docs are quite hard to follow and, and you know not not because they're badly written but because you know just their, their format you have to jump around on a pistol there's going to be an ns outline view tutorial out there that's going to take about three minutes to read i can just scan it very quickly it will remind me of which what each of the um data source and delegate methods do uh you know it will remind me about the pasteboard stuff that you have to understand and all the types in the pasteboard when you're doing drag and drop and everything else because you know the drag and drop stuff in um outline view is pretty important um and great there we are and it was just like there there really is nothing and it was um i, I was quite surprised by that um and the text view stuff yeah there is lots and lots of stack overflow on text view people basically fighting it particularly when it comes to spell checking mm. <laughs> um in there, which is an area I've been working in. So it's like, uh, uh, I find it quite sad that these two classic um, classes that are used by everybody who's using a Mac. I mean, you know, everyone must be looking at some you know, piece of software right now on their Mac if they're in front of Mac that's got an NS outline view in somewhere. Um, even if it's got a source list, that's an NS outline view. And definitely NS text view with, with any way you write text. And yet there is so little love out there for it. And I find it quite quite sad and quite frustrating as well but there we are so um it's uh yeah it's one of those things and equally you know when you do find stuff it is a, it is often very old and although it might still apply to the text view itself you know even though these are very old classes um particularly text view apple have done 
quite a lot on it over the last over the years and it does change and especially some some of the string manipulation stuff and everything that you do um in there um and it's been brought in line a little bit with your know, text kit on the mac and um ios are different but they're a lot closer than they were um in there so yeah it was it was i was quite surprised now i've you know i've been playing with this stuff long enough that you know i, I sorted it out and managed to do it but if you were coming to mac development and needed to write an outline view some or you needed to get something with more than just like the demo of text view where you just dropped it on and used um, your constraints to fill the page and just started typing you would struggle a little bit i think which is sad well, I, so there we are. That's my thoughts. There may be a rational explanation about why you can't find anything. It's not that nobody has ever written about it. Is that for I? In, I think for the last at least couple of years, Google is basically almost no longer indexes web pages that are not HTTPS. And I think twenty years ago, I think most people would not pay for certs for just plain static web pages. They would only do it for for you know e-commerce related stuff. I didn't even think of that. That could be true. And I have no idea whether if you searched with something other than the Goog, whether you might find other things, but something worth trying. Because I, I, I remember I, I worked quite a bit with both those classes for Memory Miner. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I mean, the one thing you can say about Coco and, and, and I think UIKit obviously as well is because is that they, they are very holistic. Once you understand one, it's pretty easy to understand the others. There's, there's, it's just the, the slight differences between, between you know a table view and and uh, and uh, outline view, yeah. Once you understand, I mean, basically, yeah. Once you understand delegates, yep. you you can get you can get on with most of Coco. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you understand the concept of a data source, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, if uh, you know, so you 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 know, most people have done stuff with a table. Although NS table view, obviously, because it is multi-column. Um, is more complex than UI table. Right. In fact, it's, it's quite fiddly, really. To um, yeah, what it, it's you, you would think that just doing a single column, um, you know, table with a single sort of cell in it would be quite easy. But because it's actually set up to be resizable and column resizes, you've got to do quite a lot of fiddling to make that work quite well on the Mac. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it does work, but it's you know, it's not just drop it on and all the defaults are there. Yeah, so it's um, but it is one of the nice things about Coco. Um, be that in AppKit or UIKit, is it is on the whole reasonably consistent, meaning it's you know the design patterns are fairly well established, um, which of course means when they do something that doesn't follow those patterns, it totally throws you out completely. Mm. Um, just there. And this week I've been um, playing with Cordata again for the first time in a, in a while. I say playing, using, um, working with. Um, I haven't done anything new with Cordata for a few years and that's that's changed considerably as well um is Cord- but, uh, there is a little bit more about that and what's your impression of Cordata do you think apple uses it still a lot in turn i mean i guess they must or i mean i have not looked at it in a while do, do, do they keep saying it's like yeah if you've got persistence needs Cordata is the way in the light because i i've had the impression that a lot of developers you know went and and you know, when to use things like Realm, even though Realm kind of doesn't exist anymore, but it was very nice. I think the, the, with, um, I think core data is definitely not as big as it was back in the sort of like, um, Tiger and Leopard days. Now, I think core data was introduced with Tiger and obviously that certainly meant you had this object store instead of having to 
interface with the C libraries for SQLite, which was always a bit of a pain. Um, but um, and then so for a number of years, it became quite big, and then obviously it became reasonably big in the early days of UI um, of um, UI Kit. I think Cordata came along fairly early in the life cycle of um, uh, uh, UI Kit. I don't think it was there right at the beginning, was it? But I think it was fairly early um, in the release cycle. But of course, the the majority of applications now use remote data. Um, so they're going to use REST APIs or something like that to get data. Um, and therefore, the persistence of data is often just for cache, caching or a few things and people try lots of different things. So I think it is definitely not in its heyday. Um, however, um, it still has a team, which is good. It's not like uh, down to one person um, who does it. And, what, and one of the one of the good things, I think, for Core Data um, is if you go back through the WWDC videos for the last five or six years, um, it has been consistently the same sort of four or five people doing the presentations, which meaning that has got a very experienced, very stable team on it, which actually means a lot. Um, you want that <laughs> with your database. You want people working on it who have been working on this thing for four, five, six, seven, eight years, however long, know it inside out and whatever else. And each time something new comes along, Cordata is reasonably good at um, sorting it out. So this year, for example, when um, UI diffable data sources were... Um, uh, introduced to, I think they're only in UI Kit. I don't think they made it into App Kit. I think could be wrong there. Um, you know, NS Fetch Results Controller, uh, one of the core classes around Core Data, was updated to use those as well. So it's being kept fairly in line. So it's definitely not. Uh, now, how much Apple use it internally? I have no idea. Um, it depends on what they're. I mean, it's a single. It's really not designed for a multi-user database. So I guess it depends on what, you know, what 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 apps Apple use. Um, internally but um i i get the sense it's still got love it's still being developed it's not seen as something that's going away um at this stage i think it's probably a lot better than people think it is because a lot of people haven't used it in a while and there's been quite a lot of um really quite good stuff added to it over the last three or four years if you go back through the last three or four years worth of dub dub videos even though it says you know the what's new in core data and there's only two or three things you add those two or three things up over the last five years and they turn out to be actually a fairly you know significant and profitable changes to core data um so yeah i mean we um denied about using it um uh we're still not using core data icloud that mean a lot of people got burnt by that mm. That was probably six or seven years ago now. Um, and although um, it now works very well with CloudKit, it's, you know, for reasons we've already talked about, we're not using that. But I think as a single-user object store, um, it seems to work pretty well. Um, and once you know its pitfalls and how to work with it, um, that's um, that's uh, pretty good. And I'd say if you're... Yeah, you know, if you're going to think about using core data, um, you know the samples that you t- probably tend to get, you know, online and everything are not necessarily great ways of doing it. Um, a lot of the sample code, Apple's own sample code, was pretty terrible for core data. So if you really want to look at core data, um, there's a book by the guys at obc.io on core data. It's a couple of years old, so it doesn't necessarily deal with the very 
latest version. It does deal with since they've put in the NS Persistent Container, which is a far easier way of firing up the core data stack. Um, and that talks about a lot of the patterns and good ways of using core data and performance and all that. So I would highly recommend, I'll put a link in the show notes so that people read that if they're serious about core data. But on the whole, for a single user app, which Manuel is, um, then uh, I think it works. Uh, and another reason is um, we we stuck with it when we were making decisions about what to do with it is the Ensembles framework uh, from Drew McCormack, which we've spoken about before, is fairly well established now as well. And that is a syncing framework that works with core data. Um, so it, it's pretty tried and tested technology. And I don't think, you know, your database is not an area you want to be on the bleeding edge, really. Um, you want that to be nice and stable. So, no, uh, that's a very long answer to a question you thought I'd probably just say, oh, it's all right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. But there we are. I think um, I think the trouble is you have to understand core data is an object store, not a database. They've always said that since day one. The moment you start treating it like a database, you start doing things you think you should do with SQL or whatever else. It doesn't always work well. Um, so you need to think the way core data wants you to think. And if you're prepared to do that, then I think it does a pretty good job. I've never used it with literally millions and millions of records, but I have used it with tens of thousands of records. And just like any database, if you get your queries right, um, you get your indexes right, then it works fine. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I bet you, you hit on something. It's like memory miner. I, I depended on the ability to drop down to the SQL level to make things much more efficient because a memory miner you know file you know was a single memory miner repository was an actual database and it was a it was a file wrapper which contained the images in the actual sqlite database which described them but if you needed to to do a save as from the document and you need to save you know 500 items out of several you know tens of thousands the ability to to trim it would not have to to kind of bring an entire object graph into memory and then remove the subset. I was very thankful that I could do that in, in SQLite and drop down a little, um, but and still have the object layer that 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 I was using on top of it. But I think this is a, a thing where it's 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 just a, a an experience thing. It doesn't matter whether you're using core data or any number of other relational layers that sit on top of of SQL databases. It's it's you know, you realize that things that are object-oriented, they sound great and they're wonderful and they may get you started, but then you may always run into performance problems where you, you either kind of uh, throw your hand in the air or just decide, like, well, I'm going to break the object-oriented orthodoxy and do something underneath the object layer. Yeah, and I think understanding how it's working well, not how it's working, how the architecture of it is set up is really important. I mean, you're right, it's an object store, which means it only works with things that are in memory. Um, although uh, there was something introduced, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, that uh, allows you to delete objects without bringing them into memory, because mm. that was a big thing that if you wanted to delete a thousand records, you had to load a thousand records into memory, a thousand objects, and then delete them. Um but this is why understanding faults and the whole faulting system and then the full object initialization is really important. If you're going to load 10,000 um, objects, do you really need the whole objects or can they be faulted? Which means it's just like a very small um, stub for them and they won't fully populate until you actually try and do something on the object. And understanding how that works is, is the key. And I think... Um, uh, unfortunately, like most things, people want everything to be easy. They want everything just to be 
uh, done, you know, just to drop on the components and make it work. And then their database gets bigger than they thought it was going to do, and um, it doesn't work very well, and it's because they don't really understand how the thing they're using is working, which is sad. Well, you know what's sad also, or it could be happy, but it's it's sad that we are coming to the end of, of this show, unless we were to like waffle on forever, which we certainly don't want to do. Um, but then you realize that you know when you've been doing this for a while, things can sometimes be difficult and you just need to have patience and you need to ask lots and lots of questions. And sometimes you may have to ask the same person multiple times or from different, looking at a problem different ways to ultimately find the answer you have. And and that in the end, it, it, you know, is it, figuring out how you're going to solve a problem is much more difficult than than the you know the vagaries of a particular programming language or, or development environment or set of APIs. That's my wisdom for the moment. And I think on that wisdom, John, we should we should leave our listener and a half uh-huh. um, content and satiated with with the uh, with the fullness of your wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. Because there's no more where that came. From. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, so Scotty, <laughs> if people want to, to to once again chastise you for being mean to me, especially in my in my weakened state now, where might they do that? Uh, you should send an email to I know how to ride a bike mm-hmm. um, at. Oh God, you're so <laughs> awful. <laughs> I'm terrible. I, I really don't know why you still speak to me after all these years, mm. but it is fun. <laughs> no, um, you can get hold of me at uh, on Twitter is Mac Devnet on um, uh, micro.blog as Scotty. Or um, they can get hold of both of us by sending an email to feedback at iDeveloper.co. And John, I'm sure people want to send you warm regards and love and sympathy and soothing stroke, stroking type gestures for your injuries. And where should they do that? Uh, that sounds just vulgar, but anyway. <laughs> it was supposed to be loving and kind. It, it was supposed to, but it wasn't. But so you can send me nice messages, thoughtful messages, in the place where there's nothing but nice and thoughtful messages in discourse, Twitter, where you'll find me as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Oh, you sad, deluded man. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, sorry, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, with, with travel and everything. We didn't quite uh, um, quite get to it last week. But uh, we're here this week, and uh, hopefully this uh, wit and repartee <laughs> has made up for it in some small way. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you take care. <laughs> Thank you.